jam-packed show for you today first i want to remind you to listen to the latest hollinger and duncan episode maybe my favorite episode that he and i have done i just grilled him for an hour on what happens at the trade deadline in his experience lots of just really interesting stuff some things that i had never realized on the way negotiations go down the amount of information that teams are working with etc so that was a lot of fun less fun though was the lakers night tonight against the celtics oh it was pretty damn fun for the celtics but yeah i i, I think that it was a an impressive performance from Boston in a few respects, and also an out-of-sorts one from the Lakers. I mean, Davis didn't look quite right. Thankfully, he was back, missed five games due to that tailbone issue after that scary fall that occurred, um, and LeBron was a little bit off. But I thought, I, I want to do more to praise the Celtics than to, to bury the Lakers here. In particular, Jason Tatum in that beginning of the second quarter, he only had two points in the first quarter, and then he had 13 fairly quick. I, I think that was even before he came out for the f- first time in the second. And a lot of self-created stuff. He had a couple of pull-up threes that helped keep them in rhythm. And then the other big story of the early going, which continued largely throughout the competitive portion of the game, was Boston's huge offensive rebound advantage led by one and his canter. Yeah, Cantor was fantastic in this one. He had six offensive rebounds in the first half. Boston had over 45% offensive rebounds when that's supposed to be the big Lakers advantage, right? And yeah, it was AD's first game back. They also got waxed in. They only went three minutes with AD at center in the first half. They lost those by seven, trailed by 14 at halftime. And then Boston put the hammer down quite literally as Jalen Braun dunked it all over LeBron's head right after LeBron had flopped into a passing cross charge on Tatum. Tatum got teed or or on uh, Braun. Braun got teed up. And, but the game was long out of reach by that point and the fourth quarter featured extended garbage time i thought actually for all the offensive fireworks and i really like what kemba walker was able to do again just like he did against brooke lopez on thursday of being able to accelerate to the rib past the big who was up a little further than he wanted to be due to his three-point shooting ability i thought boston's defense really looked the best by the time the game was over in the mid-third la had only taken 13 three-point attempts the frank vogel had to go to Troy Daniels just to get some more shooting on the floor and, and that was it. Daniels has his issues defensively Tatum hit a step back three in his face and so yeah it was AD's first time coming back Lakers still got to feel happy they went four and one in his absence uh, and but it, it does seem interesting to me that sometimes the Lakers seem to play better almost when a couple of guys are out not that ad is one of the guys but they when the rotation just gets shortened forcibly it almost seems better for them sometimes and it felt to me like their offense just had a lack of flow and i mean lebron still had some unbelievable passes and he had five assists in the early going as well but just the in and out possessions not creating as much churn not creating as many good looks for guys as you said the the three points attempts can be a pretty good indicator of those sorts of elements and yeah i thought boston did a great job making sure that shots were contested making sure that guys thought twice about it and oh oh, credit to a lot of different guys i thought you know marcus smart as usual did a great job tatum deflecting passes being disruptive at the nail that can do a lot against the lakers because they are so rarely packing the court with shooters and so that means the lane is is more gettable for somebody like him he can help off of players with a little bit more impunity and that worked out really well for boston yeah and cancer is a wonderful offensive player and we've seen the series where he's able to be effective right last year against Oklahoma City and Denver not really spread the floor pick and roll type of teams don't really have a shooting center uh going back to that 2016 series against the Spurs same thing where he can just not be have to face his weakness and spread pick and roll yeah he's still gonna get 
scored on on occasion he doesn't protect the rim incredibly well doesn't move his feet very well you can't switch with him but they didn't exploit him and he was able to get them so many more possessions and certainly the Lakers shooting it poorly from three the Celtics shooting it very well I mean that's always gonna play into it but there wasn't really a point where you felt like the Lakers uh, were scoring with ease and LeBron in theory has the size advantage on basically anyone that Boston was going to try and guard him with but when you've got Rondo and you've got a center on the floor and AD isn't out there as much to kind of uh, find those little gaps in the defense for alley-oops it does get a little harder for LeBron to really dictate things um and also I think he's just as not as aggressive as a score as he used to be he had 13 assists had some unbelievable passes uh, but overall you know he didn't put his stamp in this game he missed a lot of layups too uh which is probably the biggest decline in his game since his heyday and he's still a very good finisher but he's not like greatest of all time finisher anymore so yeah well, and, I mean Boston something, yeah something else LeBron related is you and I had recently done live shows on a couple of teams that match up very well against the Celtics wing guys meaning Philly and Milwaukee and in both of those games Jason Tatum had a lot more opposition trying to get to shots and for me this also served I mean Tatum played really well full credit to him but also it was a reminder that the Lakers especially if LeBron's not taking those kinds of assignments they don't really have a lot for those true forward sized guys Danny Green is to me better on twos and he can do some of that but Tatum is so much bigger than he is and the Lakers bench obviously you know they could try to dust off somebody like Jared Dudley who only played five minutes in garbage time in this one and it was a reminder to me that oh yeah the Lakers don't really have those guys and it LeBron will probably take some of those but I still think he's better as a you know a help defender more of a four than that man-to-man defensive guy at this point in his career and that that's something that aging has taken away from him or just the combination of having a little bit less and the intense offensive load that he always has yeah and I thought uh, Rondo was back he doesn't give them much defensively at all as we know we've talked about him a lot Alex Caruso really struggled in this one it was not that aggressive with the three didn't make him when he took them and as a man-to-man defender he had some bad fouls wasn't able to quite deal with the athleticism of Walker or the size of the three bigger wings so he didn't really have a place to hide either it's so funny Boston it's like you see them just having a major size advantage or disadvantage at every position it seems like where Tice is really undersized at center if they if they go against the Sixers or the Bucks they look tiny out there right and then but you go against the Lakers and most shooting guards like a KCP he's going to be too small so if the other team is playing a traditional shooting guard like they're going to have the size advantage at a lot of these positions as well um but not a ton else to take AD clearly did not have his best game he only played 23 minutes out of his 28 minute limit and was three of seven negative 24 so yeah great win for boston tatum looked really good i thought that he was not really doing the long twos that he was forced into against the bucks for example he was able to get to the rim more he had the three-pointer working and when they get really good contributions i mean between their four big stars tatum hayward walker and brown none had fewer than 16 points and all of them had solid true shooting nights they're going to be pretty tough to beat uh, and then you throw in cancer with 18 points he had all of those in the first half by the way um and all six offensive rebounds uh, in the first half 
Um, Kuzma is not really, again, when they're fully healthy with AD back, Kuzma had been starting. He'd been really their second scorer. That wasn't the case tonight. He doesn't come in 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 the third quarter until there's almost nine minutes gone by. Just, you know, he's not really being featured as a key player when AD is there. And AD wasn't even playing his full minutes either. So the Lakers still, I mean, they're going to have some things to short out rotationally and sort out, I should say. And we'll talk more about maybe what that might be in the next segment. So we talk about uh the last pelicans game of the season before zion williamson debuts yeah i mean to me the star of this game and it is it is unfortunate in some ways that he might be getting a little less shine now was drew holiday he was fantastic on both ends of the floor 36 points 7 of 10 from 3 12 of 18 from the field but the most important thing he might have done was the great defense he played on the most exciting rookie since blank john morant yeah morant finally got it together but he had only three points through three when the pels uh were up by more than 20 we actually switched away from that game to go talk about some other games uh on the nba cast uh grizz did get back within five late but never got it down to a possession ended up being a 126 116 pels victory in the end uh, brandon ingram did more in the second half he had a quiet first half but the team was absolutely ridiculous they made 15 threes in the first half and i think that might have been more than memphis had even attempted by halftime and finished with a team record 21 threes uh 21 out of 48 and i thought though even though memphis uh, went off in the fourth for 39 points the defense was pretty good from the Pels overall. Uh, Nicola Melli, I thought, really caused some problems for Valanchunas on the offensive end and did just enough defensively to compete. He even blocked a John Morant dunk right at the start of the fourth quarter uh, after Morant wrong-footed him the time before. Uh, they actually started Melli in the second half, and rather than Jackson Hayes, who was getting overpowered a little bit by Valanchunas and didn't have the spacing ability to hurt him on the other end. So that seemed like a, a good move as they were able to extend the lead out early in the third uh but you know this is a, a reminder that morant is still going to be inconsistent he had a number of plays where you know usually he's been jumping up in the air and making a decision with his great hang time and vision this time he had about five of those plays where he just jumped into someone and either had to force up a terrible shot or turned it over uh so it this is and, and he got it going again a little bit late but uh, it was the outcome was long since decided at that point um what else you got on this one jackson hayes had another really ambitious dunk attempt this time on brandon clark who ended up getting whistled for the foul um and between hayes and john Morant, you have two of the best dunk attempters in the entire league though they don't they don't make all of them um jaron jackson had some nice moments but he i mean it was another reminder when you watch him closely of the ways that he needs to tone down his jumping at every pump fake you know i complained about this with mitchell robinson incessantly too because they have the size they can really rely on it and jaron it's even in some ways more frustrating because i think he has better timing on his blocks than somebody like mitchell robinson but he still jumps way too damn much and that is getting him into trouble limiting his minutes in certain situations and also limiting his effectiveness and jackson is young enough to solve it he just has to yeah you know his fouling was bad i also he's just he just is not that good as a switch defender and 
he had a three possession sequence where he switches on to Nikhil alexander walker in the first half and commits a foul reaching in then he gets beaten by drew holiday for an easy layup and then he gets beaten by alexander walker who's might be shooting about like negative 30 percent from two for another layup and so he's just he's not able to contain penetration he gets in the air he follows guys or another couple plays uh, as you mentioned so that was great dylan brooks too you know did have 31 points in this he continues to be a little bit too thirsty to me on the long twos although he is pretty good at going get and getting his own missed floaters at, at least um but i mean he was 12 out of 25 for 31 points in 35 minutes it's a, a little thirsty for me on this because this is a good memphis offense um the grizz tried to go to a lot of posting up early they had valanchunas on jackson hayes they had jackson jr on brandon ingram or even drew holiday and he started off one out of four on those post-ups it seemed like he was getting good looks but you know couldn't make those little left-handed floaters that he likes and obviously the pels were able to space them out on the other end and it really hurt them so they won the battle of tall versus small in this game one other thing that I that I noticed during this game is that Jenkins is entrusting his non-smalls to bring the ball up the floor, and that can engage them, and, and it can be nice. But it, I, I was amused that none of Memphis's guys who fit that description, other than Kyle Anderson, who it plays you know slow to in his own way, are really good at it. So sometimes I think that it's good as a mentality just to get guys engaged. But if you have John Morant, get him the damn ball because yeah. they, they they pushed a lot harder. So yeah, I mean there were times when Jay Crowder was doing it and then some of the turnovers that you know wasn't it wasn't what killed the the grizzlies in this game they were they actually had fewer of them than the pels did in when all was said and done but there were there are opportunities where the you kind of have to reconcile those two things of what's best for the offense and what keeps guys into it yeah and morant now looks like he's gonna be up to playing full minutes 35 36 minutes he was on a 30 minute limit i don't know if that's just because all of a sudden they're in the playoff race or he's a sensation or that's a medical decision it it seemed like they're kind of just keeping him around 30 but now that's no longer the case but uh obviously that wasn't enough this is a nice win for the pals grids were hot they've had everyone healthy all year basically Derek favors wasn't able to play jackson hayes was their only true big man they didn't have a jill oak for either and they took the grizz to the woodshed and now zion williamson is going to come back wednesday against the spurs we'll tell you all about that uh, of course when it happens let's take a break and we'll get into the division preview at the trade deadline for the pacific division all right, time to talk the Pacific Division at the trade deadline. The two biggest title contenders in the West are probably in this division with the Clippers and Lakers. Let's start with the Lakers since we were just talking about them, Danny. Um, what sticks out to you the most about them? Well, as a as a trade deadline team, what stands out to me is just how little movable, controllable kind of salary pieces they have. The, the players that would have, of course, the most demand are not guys that they should be looking to trade. LeBron, AD, Danny Green. But then remember all of the player options that Rob Palenka gave to guys that he re-signed. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Rajon Rondo, JaVale McGee. That gives those players, beyond the fact that they get a their choice of whether they want to hit free agency or get a year at that price, they also get the right to veto any trade because it is conceivably possible that they could lose their bird rights if they, which I think is a little bit weird because they would choose to have that happen by declining their own player option, but that's the way the rules work. And so that means if the Lakers want to upgrade without it being on the buyout market, it is exceedingly difficult. Yeah. And really what you're looking at is Avery Bradley, 4.8 million. 
million quinn cook three million caruso 2.7 million cousins could be salary filler yeah cousins at at 3.5 but you also run into the problem eventually that you have to put so many guys into these trades due to to equal out the roster spots uh, that it can become difficult so uh, there aren't that many open roster spots around the league compared to in years past so and really you're probably going to be limited if you were to combine cousins and cook you know who are relatively superfluous that's 6.5 million in salary then you could probably also throw in either daniels or dudley or Taylor horton tucker because those guys uh, can go into minimum exceptions uh, on the other team and you can break them out a little bit but so you combine all those guys together get to about eight million dollars in salary so you can take back a 13 million dollar player essentially is what you're looking at there now what is going to be the bait to get back that 13 million dollar player because the players that i just mentioned don't really have any value so presumably Kyle Kuzma then would also need to be in that deal. So maybe you substitute him in, although he's not a minimum contract. So then you have to, that makes it a little easier or a little harder with the salary matching on the other team. Um, and you're still, you know, you could take back maybe a $13 million player with Kuzma. We'll talk about who might be available in that salary range, but what do you say they need before we even get into that? Well, they need a guy who can ideally at least one player who could reliably be part of their closing five. That would be the dream. And it gets really hard. I think the Lakers have a much better opportunity to do so on the buyout market than they do outright. That player needs to be able to shoot. I think they need to be able to defend capably. Yeah. And then the so, other So what what is their closing five? Let's let's talk about that. Who are you having to upgrade on here i mean so green lebron and ad i would say are the non-negotiables as the team is constructed now kcp is probably number four yeah as well as well as he's played now it it depends who you're going against too here right because kcp might be a little small if you're going against the clippers like Kawhi leonard has dominated him uh you know, Rondo may be, they may be in some of their closing lineups. Dwight Howard or JaVale might be in there. So you really, I think you're really talking about, you got to upgrade on either JaVale, Howard, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that same position because AD might play center in your closing lineup as well. JaVale, Howard, Rondo, Caruso, maybe either KCP or Green, depending on who you need there. Um, or and Kuzma as well. Those are the level of guys that you're talking about upgrading on. Um, now in terms of, the need like what sort of a player is going to be the upgrade fitting into this whole team concept if andre goodall wants to go there he's about the best i could think of but you can't get him on the trade market yeah i mean the the way you might have to do it would be that step up trade like john hollinger was talking about where you could get back like a kid gilchrist but even even that is difficult i mean maybe they could bring in like a minimum guy back to balance out the roster spots from charlotte in that case and then you could you wouldn't be able to aggregate mkg but then you could trade him straight up for Iguodala you stair step up there that might be a possibility very difficult to pull that off though from a practical standpoint and Iguodala you know he I I like him for them but from a defensive standpoint from a passing standpoint the shooting is not an ideal fit offensively maybe he can make it work just with his athleticism and transition where they've been a good transition team and just giving you one more defensive guy especially if you want to go with AD at center I think having someone with his size and strength and athleticism assuming he's still the same guy would be solid but here's the thing right you're the only bait that they have the only bait they have essentially here let me tell you what their assets are kuzma their first uh they've got nothing zilch nada 
zero however you want to describe it they don't have any is that clear enough they can't trade any first round picks due to the structure of the ad trade and then they have their own seconds from 2023 to 2026 and so i'm probably not trading kuzma for iguodala i think he's worth more than that iguodala is an expiring contract after this they could re-sign him in theory uh but you know the rumors are he wants to just go back to golden state and you know are a couple of their seconds is that enough to get you there and then again remember you know they still have to do this stair step thing with kid gilchrist that'll probably take some assets to get a charlotte or you know some other salary like that to play ball so it really seems like if it's going to be iguodala the buyout market is going to be the way there right and the lakers have cachet i mean they have minutes to offer these players on a championship contender so that that certainly helps the appeal but yeah the trade market is going to be really really tough for them that said i mean something the lakers could do in some of these narrow circumstances especially if they're optimistic about the buyout market is they could take on money for the 2020 slash 21 season so maybe it's a player who is a negative value to their current team but would be a positive value to the lakers because they could add but, that but who they can't really aggregate enough salary to get there i don't think yeah the it, it's it's a hard it's a hard sell to be sure yeah. I, I mean I, I like as we go through it i i think i'm pretty familiar with who's out there at this point nobody really comes to mind to me yeah um, and or or they could try to do the type of move where they do this to get maybe he's not at the same he doesn't have the multi-year but somebody like langston galway if the pistons are just looking to shed money you know maybe they can try to get in on that but the problem is they don't have assets so if anybody wants if anybody's willing to give up anything for a player like that other than yeah. savings. I mean, they, they have Taylor Horton Tucker. Sorry, I forgot. That's it. Yes. The 46th pick that they uh, traded for from the Magic. Yeah, who um, has two fully guaranteed seasons and then is a restricted free agent. Yeah. Um, so the 3 and D need is there. Some other potential options there. Jay Crowder, I'm guessing LeBron is not interested in him. He went through that experience with Crowder once in Cleveland and it didn't seem like things uh, worked out that well. You know, Robert Covington is a thought there. They could probably get enough. But then again, are you trading Kuzma for him? Does have two years left on his contract at $11 million, so that helps you. What do you think, Danny? Uh, could you repeat it one more time? Are you going to trade Kuzma for Robert Covington? Because that's probably the only way you have enough ammo to get it. I would. If, I, think Kuz, I, I, think, I think Kuzma is not a part of the LeBron eight. I, I don't even think Kuzma brings that much value to an AD only team. Let's say once LeBron ages out of whatever it is, or maybe he opts out and goes to wherever Bronny is, whatever that, whatever that LeBron determination is. I still don't think Kuzma, an actualized Kuzma, is a great fit for that team, and Covington could help them a lot now. So yeah, I probably would. But I'm higher on Covington and lower on Kuzma than most, so I don't think Rob Polenka would do the same thing. And remember that he chose Kuzma. There was some salary matching stuff, but they presumably gave up extra firsts in the Pelicans deal, which now makes it harder to do other things in order to keep Kuzma. So presumably they value him more, th- more than I do. Well, and even if you don't value him that much, if the league does, maybe you don't want to sell that low on him. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just not that much out there on uh, for a three and D guy who's really going to make a difference. And you know, is Covington even better than Danny Green or KCP? Maybe it depends. But Covington, I mean, to I, me, I think you, th- I think the reason you get Covington is that he can be a part of lineups, including those guys that you go to something with ADS. Yeah, center. LeBron at the one, and then so the other thing that they I think they need is like another ball handler who can upgrade on Rondo, maybe start for you as a not necessarily a point guard, but at least you know they need. A second guy who can run a pick and roll and hit shots like it's a little too much pressure on lebron i think you know he's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot but you need one other guy who can dribble who's an upgrade on rondo so the two guys that came to mind for me there 
are Bogdanovich and Derek Rose. For Rose, does two seconds and Taylor Horton Tucker and salary filler, does that get you there if you're Detroit? It sounds like I, a lot I don't, of teams I don't are think it does because those seconds are going to be bad. I mean, the expectation yeah. has to be that the Lakers will be competitive. And you and I have drawn the line at about 45. And so the Lakers, I would project them to be a playoff team moving into the future, even yeah. post well, LeBron. 2023, 2020 to 2026, <laughs> who can tell? But yeah, um, Bogdanovich, there's talk that there's a, an offer was made the Kings supposedly want more than Kuzma I don't know what more the Lakers have to give all of your seconds DeMarcus Cousins 120% bird rights on DeMarcus Cousins um yeah that's not gonna happen so yeah I mean uh, that's tough I don't think you want to give up Kuzma for Derrick Rose maybe is there anything else that the Pistons could throw in there in addition to Kuzma that starts to make it worthwhile like anyone else who's that they have who's going to be in their rotation um you know I'm sure Markeith Morris probably isn't enough for me um you know Galloway you mentioned I mean he's kind of you know he's going to play 10 minutes game for these guys in the playoffs if that Reggie Jackson, you know, makes too much money and he's not healthy and he's not good. So I, the more I think about it, it's just uh, so I, I have one more that I want to share with you, unless you have any other ideas for them. Nope. Kuzma for Davis Bertans. I think it's too much to give up. Yeah. And and it would could is there anything else Washington could do to sweeten the deal for you? Troy Brown. I don't think Hashimura could be a part of it. I mean, they, I think they probably are pretty in love with Brown at this point. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I don't think if it's going to and and Brown isn't going to contribute for this Lakers team. Too I would I would actually enjoy. I, I don't I don't know how how this would structure it salary wise, but I would enjoy having Ish Smith having him paid for next year on the Lakers again. I talked about how getting a player with that money could be useful for them. And of course, you know, LeBron is champing at the bit for an Isaiah Thomas reunion. Yeah. Yeah. Trade for Thomas and, uh, and Jay Crowder. All right. Uh, let's uh i mean the other the other possibility is that danny green could get moved and maybe that's danilo gallinari i'm trying to think of who else they would need that because obviously they'd prefer to hold on to green but so i mean that and in that case then again you got you would have to throw in kuzma to make it worth it for this other team and would you do that to for gallo and then are, you know are, they could are you, are you gallo. trying to get me to do a marcus Sola or serge Ibaka fake trade to get danny green back on the raptors because i will engage with you on that <laughs> no no that's uh, that was not what I was trying to do but yeah so I mean maybe they would feel but the problem is Danny Green is still by far their best option to guard Kawhi and not that he did an amazing job in those first two games but everyone else is completely powerless uh should we discuss their rivals the LA Clippers yeah the Clippers are 1.9 million below the tax not that that is a huge deterrent for one Steve Ballmer but you know it could get financially significant in future years getting into the repeater tax and all that fun stuff also the Clippers have zero available exceptions and for me the biggest oh we didn't do player most likely to be traded for the Lakers oh uh uh i mean probably kuzma just because if they do anything significant he's going to be in there um aside from that maybe although i I guess i was thinking maybe troy daniels just because he would open up a roster spot um no maybe it's maybe it's oh it's probably demarcus right i mean it does anything it does feel like that's why he's on the roster still yeah yeah it's probably demarcus but yeah how would how different would this team look if uh if demarcus had been just been healthy yeah probably a lot worse frankly 
be very um, very different. I mean, they wouldn't have gotten Dwight. A lot a lot of things would have been different. But let's get back to the Clippers. I, I think their motivation, the biggest thing for them should be adding another player worthy of their closing five. And like the Lakers, that could be at a, a variety of different positions and roles. Center is the one that you and I have fixated on, but they could use a player in, in a, a couple of different capacities. And unlike the Lakers, the Clippers have two huge levers that they can pull. One is they have a lot of matching salary, including Mo Harkless, which is which is prominent because he is expiring money and he has no no trades or anything like that. He's making eleven million this year. And then they also have players like Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell and Magruder, who teams could see as positive value. So there are a lot of different ways they can do it. And then the other important thing the Clippers have is they can actually trade their twenty twenty first round pick. And not saying that is intensely valuable because the Clippers are a damn good team, but a twenty twenty first is more desirable for G than nothing and also more desirable than for a lot of times than a non-premium future pick because at least you know it's going to convey this year so in the deal everyone has been talking about with them is that first and Mo Harkless for Andre Iguodala would you do that if you were the Clippers I would be reluctant to because of the reporting that we have from people like Mark Stein that Iguodala would be a rental that he's interested in going to the Golden State Warriors after this year yeah and, I mean now if they offer him 10 million and the Warriors offer him the vet minimum yeah that, that might that change because possi- they'll have full bird rights that is a very good yes. point and Balmer would be willing to pay it where we could be pretty sure that I would consider it I, I am my, my eyes have gone a little bit starry for guys like miles turner we don't know if he's on the block um if depending on how kevin pritchard well so I, I don't think they have the the assets to go get him anyway unless i mean they could include shamit shamit yeah i mean shamit does seem to have fallen out of favor to some degree after that high ankle sprain i still think and, but they they also like i mean the the clippers depending on how lawrence frank sees this roster i mean lou williams is is a value contract he has money for next year they could I, I just include, they could trade patrick them. beverly i mean i don't don't see them moving Beverly or Trez or Lou. I just it just doesn't. Well, if, seem if they're like getting they a would. center, I feel like they have. If they if another center is valued, they don't have to do it in the same deal, but they might as well do it at some point because then if if they sign if they acquire somebody like Miles Turner, then Harold's just going to leave, and they I don't think that he moves the needle enough for them in that circumstance. So for me, if that's the choice that Frank is making, then you make that a full choice, no half measures. Well, just going to leave. I mean, how many minutes is Harold going to, if they, if let's say they get a center that you, you and I think is worthy of their closing. Th- there's probably games that Harold would still close over turn. Maybe. A- and the Clippers, I mean, it depends. You go into free agency, they have the full bird rights on him. There might be a lot of teams who are interested. There might not be, you know, you don't really, uh, he's a well, player. They, I think they could do the one year to... balloon with him of just say, Hey, we'll give you $20 million just, just because we can. Yeah. It's yeah. Possible. No, I mean, that, that's possible. If the, going back to that Iguodala thing, could Memphis throw anything? else in to make that worthwhile for you i mean maybe memphis puts in a second for this year maybe that that makes you feel a little bit better about it i don't know how much jay crowder would help them and they'd have to come up with some other salary as well uh nobody else that's really like moving the needle for me on the grizz that they would be willing to give up I mean, you also may perhaps part of the reason for giving up that first for Andre is just so he doesn't sign with the Lakers. Like, is that worth it just to keep him away from the Lakers more even than, than that you need him? The old Ethan Sherwood Strauss, Kevin Durant, nuclear deterrence idea, which is totally fair. Yeah, I think I think that definitely helps the argument for Iguodala because there aren't that many other there aren't that many other guys who can do it. Um, so another thing that you might be looking at here, uh, I I mean, I think just for another center option that they might want as a vet is probably more likely as a buyout 
Um, but I think they do probably need someone to guard Anthony Davis in a Lakers series. Um, you know, Derek Favors doesn't seem like he's going to be available reading the tea leaves with the Pels. Uh, he's probably not enough of an upgrade. You know, are you, would you give up your first and Harkless for Derek Favors? I don't think I would. Favors is an upgrade in certain matchups, but that's a lot. How about Rodney Magruder and Mo Harkless for Tristan Thompson? Hmm. You're not giving up. Being it, yeah. You're not giving up a, a real asset. Magruder has been out of the rotation, and you and I have. He's cons- really struggled shooting the ball this year. Yeah, you and I both have both liked him more than more than a lot of other general managers have, and and to an extent coaches. Though it seemed like Spo used him a lot. And I'm not the biggest fan of Tristan Thompson, especially where his defense the, is. The gone. idea is he can guard AD, maybe switch on to LeBron a little bit too, if you want to go with a switch scheme yeah. uh, do something for you on the offensive glass which I, they don't do a ton I, of. I don't i don't love it i think that i think that there'll yeah. be guys on the buyout market that are just as good and, per, and, then, you get, and then you get himself and then you <laughs> yeah. get to keep mo harkless too and right. and Rodney Magruder, harkless is an important player for them i think absolutely um marvin williams what about harkless and a second for marvin williams play some small ball center for you i mean they've kind of got jamichael green to do that already but um he's an upgrade on patrick patterson but i don't know that he's a big enough one to to do that especially because i just really like Harkless. marcus morris that's what that one might be a better fit than any of these guys maybe even yeah more so I, I think that help. that's where you start to get interesting here and the next yeah. i mean and he's under contract or no he's not he because they offered him three for 40 he turned it down and then he headed up signing for one year 15 million but they have enough bird rights on him yeah the non-bird resign. would actually be really valuable for the clippers because they could sign him up to yeah. 120 percent raises for one to four years which should be enough so that that first, then you start to get interesting territory first and harkless for him i would try to not use the first but yeah i honestly that that might be it because i think he works really well in that series there is to an extended degree of deterrence but also i think with the weird kind of herky jerky nature of what the clippers offense might be he could actually kind of work well and then defensively he fits he fits what they're looking for and can take some strain off of Kawhi. and and also i mean there are a lot of a lot of challenging guys yeah marcus morris i like yeah, and that 2020 first rounder is kind of use it or lose it here. I mean, you might hope that you could do a little bit better than that. I mean, I still I wouldn't love giving up Harkless. Uh, if there's a way to go with say Magruder, would you rather give up Harkless or Jermichael Green? Doesn't Jermichael Green have a veto? Yeah, I think you're right. He does. Yeah, because he got traded there. Good call. Because he's got the player option for next year. Hey, they, they, hey, we learned from our mistakes, or at least you do sometimes. But to answer your question. I, I like Jermichael Green a lot. I think that he gives them a different look at center. And in this trade, they're at least in this trade, they're not getting that other look back. So I think yeah. it probably... Well, you don't have to answer my question. He'll, he's not going to agree to go to the Knicks from there. Um, that would be a bold move. Well, so yeah. here's... They, all, they also have I a couple of interesting here's something seconds. I ask you. So, sorry, one more thing here. Sure. They also have the Detroit 2021 and 23 seconds that are looking pretty valuable right now. Mm-hmm. And Cabangale, depending on how teams feel about him, you know, hasn't really yeah. been he, on the Terrence side. Mann had some flashes in summer league. I mean, the they're slight sweeteners um sorry what were you gonna ask me though what i was gonna ask you is Lawrence frank identifying who are the key parts of this team could also be important because i don't know whether like patrick beverly's place on this team is set in stone or lou williams or trez or any of that type of stuff my instinct is that they try to keep all those guys they've been important that they want to try to make it work but for the right deal, I could imagine that almost anybody other than Paul George and Kawhi could be had. Yeah, I mean, so much of this too with the Pels, the Grizz, and OKC all being in playoff contention here somewhat unexpectedly, a lot of the best guys who could have been traded that were expiring contracts are on those teams. And so uh, the market just is not nearly as sexy uh, as perhaps uh, would have been hoped. 
All right, so we talk. Uh, well, actually, let's, let's take a quick do, break here. What's new yeah. player most likely to be traded? Yeah, uh, yeah, you, you you keep me on task here. I appreciate. That. We always forget. Uh, I'm going to go with Harkless just because he's he's the most logical ballast in any bigger deal, and they don't really have a low contract guy that is in you know like in every deal. Yeah, Harkless is probably number one. Magruder might be number two. Phoenix, not a lot of noise here uh, around the Suns at the moment. I think one thing that's interesting about them as of right now is if Dario Sharich doesn't come back, they could actually have 21 million in space this summer. And I think they could probably upgrade on Sharich, who has a $10 million cap hold with that space and to get another solid three four man in theory and maybe you know that's Danilo Gallinari uh but and they are still in this group going for the eighth seed they as we speak this well they lost a weird game to the Spurs on Monday yeah. night where they were down a lot they had I think a 15-0 run to come back and then still lost so that's a little bit disappointing but at least it's not as bad as it was early when it looked like they were not early but in the third quarter when they were getting run but the question that I want to ask you and this this might just be kind of too far afield if you haven't been thinking about it is I have this piece coming out for the athletic explaining how different teams can teams that are on kind of the precipice of the cap or the tax can basically trade expiring salaries to get players under contract for next year and even if that player is not a huge positive value basically some it's kind of like money for nothing and the six the yeah. Suns might not exactly be in that camp because they have the ability to get up to like 20 million in space which is a whole hell of a lot more than you know five to ten but yeah. theoretically they could actually do this with somebody like tyler johnson so what i'm wondering is would it be could could you see a scenario where they use Tyler Johnson and the lax salary matching rules to instead of get, getting fifteen to twenty million and then the room exception get player X plus the non taxpayer mid level which is about nine and a half million and then if they want to use the biannual the biannual so be it and I my instinct is that that's that cap space door door A is better than door B but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Well, who's player X? Uh, that's that's always the question I ask you when you come up with these generalizations. Like, yeah, that is a good general principle. Now, who are they actually going to go after? It's the challenge is this year there aren't that many guys with multi-season contracts that I think you'd really yeah. really want to get, or that are just out of you know. Like, could it be a part of an of an Aaron Gordon trade? Yeah, that would be interesting. You know that that if that were the foundation, Gordon has been on some successful defensive teams, but then this the Suns are dipping in. To their young asset well is in addition to that which they absolutely can but it becomes a very different trade that's but i mean that would be i think gordon would kind of be the concept behind it off the top of my head yeah one of my biggest takeaways from the pod with hollinger is that nba teams are extremely conservative in terms of even discussing players that aren't like obvious move candidates and that it's just even it's they're and maybe too conservative just because they're afraid of stuff getting into the media or whatever but that if you you know someone like an aaron gordon right it's like oh yeah you know maybe he'd get traded but it, there's not really an obvious destination orlando isn't really looking to move him you know unless there's a feeling that guys are available generally there aren't going to just be offers that come in for guys that are really serious and so john and i talk a lot more about why that is but it's just it's hard to put together these creative deals 
in practicality compared to you know what we're talking about like oh yeah he would be a fit here also i just don't get the sense that the magic are really looking to move him uh, as well so uh you know they want to make the playoffs this year in theory and he's on a value contract they could always move him later as well i mean they need him for the rest of the year with isaac out so maybe that's more of a summer move um so on a sort of related note i've advocated many times for teams to be proactive with players that they do not intend to resign and it's a little bit different with pending restricted free agents because theoretically maybe the market comes to you but you brought up the idea that if the suns let sharich go then they could have this 20 million space sharich has a cap hold with his restricted rights, so assuming you give him that qualifying offer of $10.4 million, so then you're basically at the cap. And Charge started tonight, played 20 minutes. They actually were crushed in those 20 minutes in a game that they narrowly lost. Not that that was all his fault or anything. But my my, my other question is, if that is your pathway to it, and Charge is a part of your rotation, to be sure, but not an essential part of your future, should they? how seriously should they consider moving him? What sort of a price should they accept? Because another team could be far more interested in his restricted rights because if they're over the cap let's say that 10 million doesn't mean jack to them yeah i mean i i don't think i would be that interested in him and i don't think he's going to get a huge contract if there were any value to move him i, I certainly would think about it um i mean it, it, all signs really kind of point to being quieter i think they like their young core Aiton has been out for so long booker has it rolling right now Aiton is starting to string together some good games so i think they want to just see what they have with this group i don't see them giving up assets to really try and get better I and mean, the one thing this does strike me though as the most logical now most logical is damning with faint praise because there aren't many uh logical kevin love destination would i be in favor of that as the suns <laughs> probably not uh, just due to and this team they could have the 21 million in cap space you know love trade with tyler johnson would vaporize that i'd rather just buy what i could with 20 million this offseason than have kevin love at 30 million and then even the 21 offseason if they don't sign anything long term this summer they could have 40 million in space and so again much more interested in that for a young team than kevin love especially because this is the good year maybe if you get love you you know maybe you're the favorite then but like you know if love is so good wouldn't like cleveland's offense be better than his i know they don't have many other players but you know he's he's not like the kind of guy who's just gonna be propelling you into the playoffs on it on your own like he's still i mean i guess he would technically be your second best player but they got plenty of other guys who need the ball in this team he'd kind of just be space on the floor he would hurt their defense if anything i mean he and Aiton together you know would be tough if because love's kind of playing the center now you've got Aiton out on the floor again just like he was with baines that doesn't make a lot of sense to me so this is the most logical kevin love destination but i still don't think it's going to happen or that they should do it the other thing james jones should seriously consider is they have to excessive collection of backup point guards and they got ricky rubio that seems like it's working out pretty well but drafted ty jerome in the first round he's been dealing with injuries a lot to be sure but then also the previous administration drafted el yacobo high in the second round he has no guaranteed money after this year but if you're not thinking you don't want him at the minimum if you're thinking you don't want him at the minimum might as well move him or javon carter who is a pending restricted free agent i get keeping three of you know keeping rubio and two others because somebody gets hurt and something else but if there's positive value to be had for whoever you think think is the last man out it might be worthwhile to get something there won't be i don't think there will be i mean maybe you could get like Uh, a a mediocre mediocre second maybe even then i think it's just it's driving the new car off the lot like if like second round guys who don't have a reliable rotation spot in their second year don't have value i think that's a pretty good uh philosophy overall and yeah i mean i think i wouldn't mind trying to get a young backup center in the pipeline eventually but it seems like 
you know the draft free agency it, it just it just it doesn't seem to me like this is a team that's going to make a move what about the kings much as centered around bogdanovich uh, anything more to say on his situation we've talked a lot about him obviously with regard to some of these other teams well i guess maybe as, you as just a talk clarification about, uh, yeah. just to give the background the kings are 13.4 million below the tax after the baysmore Ariza trade they have no available exceptions, so they have a lot of wiggle room. But remember that Bazemore cannot be aggregated. He can be traded again, but he cannot be aggregated. And, and Tolliver, same story with him, but Tolliver is easier to move because he's on a minimum contract, so then the minimum exception applies. For Bogdanovich... But let's talk about how, how likely they actually are to be able to re-sign him as a restricted free agent. I mean, they have match rights, they have full bird rights, but he is not arenas limited, so that means teams can offer yeah. whatever the hell they want up to his maximum. And the, the Kings do have to me they have enough spending power under the tax to do it whether they think that's advisable or not will probably depend on the amount of years because remember that while 20 slash 21 is not a problem De'Aaron Fox gets his raise in 21 Marvin Bagley gets his raise in 22 and Buddy Heald already got his Harrison it, Barnes does, is does he get his raise he, he's uh he's due to make 11 million in 22 you sure he's getting a raise off of that as long as the administration <laughs> that drafted him is there I would I would guess that he will that's it it's, yeah uh, yeah. it's that, I, I, I suppose you're, you're right but but, but, and, remember, but I mean, and Harrison yeah. Barnes is also getting paid th- through the 23 season so yeah. Bogdanovich if Vivek is thinking really long term here if Bogdanovich gets significant money that's a really expensive team that to this point has not made the playoffs and even though they could be better than they've been I mean look at the top six in the west right now those teams could all win 50 games this year there are very few departures from those teams teams that we could project you know even even some of the teams might lose a guy but they could replace some of those players so the kings could theoretically get into and things will change over the next couple years maybe fox takes a leap maybe bagley does but it i could see them getting reluctant once it gets above solid starter money like if it gets to 16 to 18 million per season I could see them being scared, but at the and but remember also there are so few teams that can offer that this year. Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe there are some sign and trade scenarios that could come about as well. You know, that there might be a, a Brogdon-ish type offer, maybe not quite that large for Bogdanovich. Their tax situation: if they keep Bielitsa, they would have he's got seven point one million for next year. Guarantee date is the 29th. He's played well enough to me to merit that. You can always move him if you need to. I think at that number. Then they've got about 29 million below the tax. So that's really plenty of room to bring back Bogdanovich. I mean, I don't see him getting 20. I mean, maybe if it's just a crazy offer sheet, but, uh, and I think they'll make him, I mean, he turned down the 451. I think he's right to do that. But I think, you know, if they make him an offer in the 16 to 17 range, I think that's, that would be fair. And I think they should do that. He's a good player. And, you know, you can always figure it out later between him and Heald, but no reason to let him go for nothing and you know they might have be a little truncated in what they can do with the mid-level exception if they sign into that kind of a contract probably not though uh so I think that this idea that, oh, they can't afford him. And yeah, I know going forward, it might be a little bit different with Fox getting his raise. And, you know, you might have to do something at that point. But if you sign him to a contract that's going to be pretty decent, I think you're going to be okay there. Um, and who else are they going to, you're just going to let him leave for nothing and then try and sign, sign someone at the mid-level. That just doesn't make sense to me. Now, you might say with him being, I think he's 28, you know, if it's four years at 18 million a year, then you like you might start to blanch a little bit at the end of that. But still the i mean i think it's much more likely than not that they can sign him to a contract that they'd be okay with and 
there's this feeling like oh they can't do that i mean maybe maybe that's how they feel and maybe those reporting is based on that but just looking at their their books right now i don't feel that way that they have a lot of pressure to move him they might want to just balance out their roster a little bit more but they have so many depth guys anyway that even you know i think he's as a backup point guard essentially off the bench and like good defender spot and remember the the teams that are probably going to be interested in him they're probably looking to upgrade in the present and so it would probably be future draft picks maybe it's picks that aren't owned by that team but you know like for example we've talked about milwaukee as a fascinating destination for bogdanovich they're not going to offer players to make the kings better in the immediate they don't you know they're trying to get Bogdanovich for that exact purpose and that makes things a lot harder from Sacramento's perspective the one thing that I would push back a little bit on there is the idea of positive value so it is entirely possible because of the restricted process and Bogdanovich being older and the lack of supply of high money teams that he gets that there is some surplus value to it some surplus value I think that's entirely possible but the idea that there will be a significant amount seems a little bit less likely to me and at that point maybe yeah. you know having guys that are properly paid this is something that I, I I bring up with the Wizards a fair amount you know like they signed out a Porter and Bradley Beal and John Wall to those contracts and yeah some of those worked out worse because of injuries and stuff but properly paid non-max caliber players can get your books in trouble really really fast well but i mean that's still there's some more value in that than i mean look at what the kings have done in free agency or oh yeah i mean every time they sign so now granted at least they haven't killed themselves so they signed short-term contracts but like i mean Bogdanovich on a long-term deal like he's again he's a good player i don't think he's going to end up really overpaid this year and they're not a destination so the opportunity cost is very different it's not it's it's not the the clippers or the lakers giving like the lakers giving mozgov money it's not that sort of a mistake if even if it ends up being a mistake so yeah i just that's the part of it that i think could be the rationale is that he's not gonna it's not gonna haunt you in all likelihood yeah well we'll put your money where your mouth is then what's the price uh, if some of these teams come coming if it's you know kyle kuzma you doing that I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Kuzma, and I'm not a big fan of what he is yeah. in, in, with that team. And remember, like we brought up the Bucks before, the Bucks don't have any sort of like premium assets. I don't think DJ Wilson as much as I like well, him. At well, times. What about that uh, that Pacers pick? Meh. And DJ Wilson, that's not enough for you. Pacers pick is going to be. Uh, how about uh, some of these Philly assets? Yeah, Pacers pick would be what like twenty or something. Yeah, yeah. and in a draft that people don't particularly like. How about Philly? All their own picks going forward, essentially. Uh, you know, Zaire Smith is probably in there. Mike Scott probably has to be in there due to salary matching. But- I think then you're getting closer because then there's more upside. We know we know that the the Pacers are going to make the playoffs. That pick is going to be around twenty in a draft that we don't love. Well, wait, wait. So, so what Philly pick is it then? I don't know. I think you go deeper into the future, but again, that's not what management actually yeah. does. Philly has a shitload of second. They have like every New York second uh, yes. from now until the end of time. Those are useful. So the, yeah, that that can sweeten things up a little bit. They've got a couple of OKC seconds. They've got all their own firsts. Uh, other than the one that they owe to Brooklyn this year. Um, Unfortunately, you know, so, so a sack, I mean, you and I love Josh Richardson, but I think I don't think Philly would include any of their best players in, no, in this sort no, of deal. No, absolutely not. And so that makes it hard, too. So, I mean, I think there's, but that's the question then. It's like, you know, these are the types of offers we're talking about. First rounders, probably 20 or below. One first rounder, 20 below, doesn't get it done for you. Kuzma doesn't get it done for you. Then I guess you're not trading him <laughs> if that's, uh, if that's what, what your price is going to be. I don't see offers that are going to really exceed that. Are there anything any- else on these guys? 
I would love to see them, and this might end up being in the draft, I would love to see them get a real small forward. They have a lot of guys that play up and down a position, but it would be nice to have that on roster, whether that's through a Bogdanovich thing or something else. And I'd, I'd like what, to see What that. about uh, Covington for Bogdanovich? I don't, so the rationale for Minnesota is a guy who's more capable with the ball in his hands and you take the defensive downgrade. Well, that, and who can also actually make a fucking three-point shot. Yeah, that would be nice. And they have would have match rights on him. So even if- Yeah, a little younger- so, under healthier. team control for longer. I, I mean, I, that that is yeah. a that is definitely a kind of a win sooner type of move, and it it, it yeah. makes for it makes for a better constructed Kings roster. So that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not I don't too see interested happening. in getting older and less healthy if I'm the Kings. Correct, but getting better defensively would be nice because that could that could help maybe bridge the gap. You and I both think Bagley's a five eventually. How they how they make that ecosystem work with him and Rashawn Holmes and everything else is challenging. So Golden State, they are hard capped. They are like, you know, what, 300K below the hard cap. So they can't effectively take on any salary. They're going to try and see if they can get something for Alec Burks, I assume. It seems like they want to try and keep GR3 in the full. I think he could be a valuable player next to some of the guys they have. He's held up okay defensively. He shot the ball reasonably well. He'll look good next to some better offensive players. Um, you know, I mean, they're not going to get a first round pick for him. A good second, I don't even think they're going to get for him. But they don't have bird rights on him, really. So if he plays well enough, there might be some better offers out there for him. And if it's between him and Andre Guadalla coming back, who are they going to give that uh, taxpayer mid-level to next year? But I think they would want to just keep him in the system, and he seems really happy there, and maybe they can uh, sell him on the idea of coming back again and then paying him more again. He, I mean, he's a young 3-and-D player. They, I think they are going to hold on to him unless there's really an overwhelming type of offer. I expect the same, and the possibility of re-signing him does carry some value, and because GR3 fits in better with the idealized version of the Warriors than Alec Burks does, and that's why, to me, you trade Alec Burks if you can get anything for him, is because he doesn't make that much sense on next year's team. Having his non-bird rights doesn't matter nearly as much. So I would do that. The challenge for the Warriors is that, also, if they're trying to get better, their young players aren't particularly valuable. Jordan Poole has been rough this year. Spellman, Spellman has had his moments, but I don't think he's you know a super valuable player now, Evans is a disaster. Um, Smile Geach and Pascal, I think they want to keep around for various reasons. And so that means if the Warriors want to do something significant, first of all, they don't have a lot of matching salary. They can't add money anyway. Would be if they decided to make a move involving D'Angelo Russell. My read on the situation is that if a move were to happen, it, which is not a guarantee at any point in the next, let's call it the calendar year. I don't think there's a guarantee of that, but I really don't think it's going to happen in the immediate, especially with the idea that Steph Curry might come back this season. So is there, there could be a conceivable offer that is so strong for Russell that they would consider it, but I don't expect a deal to happen. Yeah, I am not so sanguine about their ability to get something for him in the offseason. There's talk that the Wolves are intensifying their efforts to get him. I mean, it really seems like Andrew Wiggins would have to be what they're dangling there that uh don't think uh the Warriors be interested in that. Uh, but I, I mean, there is a thought to me that if anybody wants Russell, because there aren't that many teams that need point guards, because there are so many point guards available in the draft, because bad teams are really the teams that are going to want Russell as a floor raiser. For all of those reasons, I am very concerned about them finding a destination for him, not to mention a, a bunch of assets. Now, of course, he does have a huge salary and they are going to have what's looking like a top six, top seven pick 
pick so maybe he can just be fodder to move to bring in another really good player and that's he's their only really disposable big salary at this point in time outside of the big three so he does serve that purpose although they also have the 17 million dollar Iguodala trade exception that might not be big enough for the type of fish that they're going for I agree with you he doesn't get moved I would be looking more seriously at trying to find something for him but I think it's hard for them to at least like to trade him without even for something that they consider an overwhelming offer for a star when he hasn't even really played with Steph Curry yet. I don't think those results are going to be great. There's a, a lot of things that to be very worried about with him, but like you, I don't think that he will be on the move. We should also note that the Warriors, they owe their own first in 2024. It is top four protected, then top one, then unprotected. But so that's one part. So there are some limitations in terms of their first. And I assume they're, I mean, we're basically a lock that they're keeping their own pick for this year. But in that case, they've also traded all of their seconds between now and 2026 other than one and that is remarkable and then remember they also have no cash available so they can't pay another team to take on one of their salaries not that they necessarily have somebody they have to dump like the mcw mellow things last year but it's there's just so little flexibility here that i would be very surprised if there was a move other than like dumping one of their minimum guys yeah uh, another thing they might try and do is move jacob evans maybe you could tell a team all right if you want alec burks you got to take jacob evans maybe there's a team that has a a small enough trade exception to take him he's got two million guaranteed for next year has had a rough year in terms of injuries and uh, has shown very little uh, on either end of the floor to show that'd be worth that and they're going to be in the tax next year so getting off that two million would be nice but that's probably more likely a summer move it would just be nice for them to be able to have another roster spot to try out some guys here in this relatively lost season Uh, Kavon Looney I mean the fact that he has just basically missed the entire season he has this hamstring neuropathy he's looked terrible you know even when you see him like trying to work with guys before the game he doesn't look amazing so who knows what's up with him I mean he's got another 10 million guaranteed uh, after this year and maybe the hope is just that he can get back to being the player that he was you know when Steph Curry is back and, and really contribute for them but uh as of now I mean that's that's looking pretty negative Willie Cauley sign is someone else they might potentially look to move he's had his moments I think they he's the player option for next year what do you think you think he picks that up 2.3 million I could imagine a James Ennis situation where he declines that and signs a similar contract maybe even with the Warriors but just wants to see yeah. what's out there I mean you can't I mean yeah. I, I assume somebody will offer him a one-year minimum contract so I my guess is he declines it yeah and we'll see how he looks uh with Steph Curry after this I mean I think I think he's done well enough that they probably don't want to just straight up dump him and just to get off of that money for next year and create a roster spot so Alec Burks to me is really the only player if I had to, that I think has a greater uh, a, or a decent chance of getting traded he would be my most likely to be traded out of this group especially because once Steph comes back they won't really need him as much either and he doesn't fit long term the way GR3 does one other thing I wanted to mention just so it's out there the Warriors do have a 17.2 million dollar trade exception from the Iguodala deal right. it is functionally impossible for them to use it this year because of the hard cap unless something else happens but they will have a narrow 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 window in july that they can where they will not be hard capped and so keep that in the back of your mind i'm going to of course write about it at some point but that is just in the sake of completeness it's something to mention all right so it's see you in july for the warriors it's see you tomorrow for us as we've got four of these six divisions done now we've got to finish those up with the mock trade deadline coming up hopefully this weekend if we can uh, get everyone together to do that we are feverishly underway with our prep and obviously these pods are, are a great way for us and for you to prepare for that as well 
I mentioned Hollinger Duncan. Please don't forget about that. And I think that's all we've got to promote. So we will talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then.